Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We have finally reached the top of the mountain, Cracked Rackets fans. It is our final episode in our preseason countdown of our top 10 Division I women's college tennis teams entering the 2023 season. Of course, if you missed any of the previous nine episodes of this show, all you got to do is scroll down on your Great Shot Podcast feed. You'll be able to catch up with everything. So much fantastic preview content available for all of you college tennis fans. I do feel we've done our best to prepare all of you for the start of another exciting college tennis season. With that said, it's time for our final episode, our last chance to mention any late December, early January roster surprises, our last chance to look at the preseason ITA rankings, which were released here on Wednesday, January. 4th and our last chance to make a pitch for any preseason team we have discussed here in our Cracked Racket shows. With all of that said, joining me once again for our final episode is the man who has joined me in each and every one of our Division I women's college tennis previews. Of course, you know him best as the founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast, the returning champion of returning champions here on our Cracked Racket shows and our dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the program. Final episode of the preseason, at least on the women's side. How are you feeling, my friend? You excited? I'm ready. Uh, I, what would you guess over under on my outline number of pages right now for this for top 10 preseason? A number of outline pages just all together? All it's 10 teams. It's one running outline. I might put it online, sell it on eBay. Yeah, it's your first manuscript. Um, 56 pages. Ooh, not that much. 32. Okay, I overestimate. See, I write down every little detail, and that's why I stopped doing it, because then I just it takes too long. And I'm write, I've written down the entire script, but yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, we've talked about all the returners, all the newcomers. We actually had another NC State Pepperdine additions I want to talk about here on today's show prior to talking about number one UNC. But yeah, it's been a fun preseason. That said, I think I speak for both of us when I say we are ready for college tennis to begin. With that in mind, though, obviously before we can start a season, we know we need to know who's going to be competing for each roster. Let's start with the big addition to Pepperdine because certainly given they only had six players and yet still occupied a spot in our top 10 preseason rankings. It speaks to the strength of the six players they have on their roster. It also speaks to the fact uh, that we figured there would probably be at least one more addition to the team before the start of the dual match season. Well, we found out who that addition will be as they get the second of the Campana twins on a Campana coming over from, I believe, Wake Forest, if my memory is serving me correct, to play her final season of eligibility in Malibu. I mean, look, both Campanas had been contributors to that Wake Forest team. You feel like with each of these players, you feel pretty comfortable playing them, particularly if it's in a bottom half of a lineup and given that they have commodities in Janice Chen, Lisa Zar, Bunyawe, Tim Chaiwat, and Savannah Brodus. You feel like the Campanas won't have to be asked to play in the number one or two singles positions. Look, it's only one piece of depth. They're still an injury away from a serious issue, but it's a good piece to add, certainly for this Pepperdine way. It's kind of exactly what they needed. Yeah, it is, right? And, you know, Anna Campania, the younger sister of Carolyn, she was originally committed to San Diego. Flips oh, did I say twins? Goes, yes, thank twins. you. Younger yes. sister, I appreciate Younger it. sister, uh, originally committed to San Diego, flips that, plays her grad transfer years, joins her sister in Malibu. And look, you know, UTR perspective, she's seventh uh, on this roster. You know, she's played 
high to middle of that Wake Forest lineup, as has her sister who was playing number one most recently. So it's just that added depth, right? Having that seventh player who can play number six is a huge um, you know, weight off of other players' shoulders. So there might be a weekend you take off. We've talked about that before. So that's a big addition. We'll see if it's their last. I don't know. Um, but the other thing I saw this current week was Nikki Redlick, we had talked about in the Pepperdine pod, hadn't played in the fall. Uh, she's competing at the Malibu 25K. She got a, a win in the qualifying first round. So you kind of alleviate some of those maybe injury concerns we had going in. So look, I think stock is rising on that Pepperdine team. Yeah, absolutely. And again, they're not going to need Anna to play each and every dual match now because they have seven legitimate options to slot into all these different single spots. And, you know, again, now they can't afford a luxury of someone gets injured. We still have six we can play. I still think maybe they're a spot away. Maybe there's a rising star, the Alex Gruskin women's equivalent on their Pepperdine club tennis team that they can go pluck from the roster as that eighth player. You still feel like seven's a little thin for that Pepperdine team. That said, again, they were not the only team to make an addition over the course of the past week. Now, I apologize if I'm butchering the last name, but Anna Ziryanova, uh, former top 75 ITF junior in the world, she's announced to be heading uh, to NC State, I believe. Is she coming over right away? or is that a fall edition am I a little too far ahead no she's a spring edition I think yeah. we briefly mentioned her on the NC State uh, I think it was a parsa bomb and then the the school officially announced it yeah. this week um so look I mean now they go eight deep right and sure. you know talk about players you know she's seventh Nell Miller's eight on the UTR listing for them that's so crazy yeah so that's a team you feel really good about pulling your seven or eight in at five and six in any of those matches yeah look and obviously the coaches agree with how high we are on NC State as you look at the ITA uh, coaches poll which came out today they unleashed their first top 25 and that's the final thing we want to discuss before we get into UNC and look the coaches had even more time to hear about the late additions to hear about the late I suppose departures to rosters than we did but Jay given the adjustments we made following the announcement of Selma Ewing to Texas A&M I'm counting us as boosting A&M in pushing USC out we got all top 10 teams correct like shout out to us and may not have had everyone in the exact spot now they had Texas one to our UNC one UNC two to our Texas number two but NC State at number three we had that and you know teams like Georgia Stanford Pepperdine Duke Virginia again all the top 10 teams we nailed them all Jay I'm gonna have Westoff put in a little congratulations sound effect shout out to us with that said your thoughts on the preseason top 25 well, look, we talked about this. We felt like there were 11 teams deserving of the top 10. So the exercise wasn't that difficult to nail all top sure. 10 teams. Um, you know, by and large, there really wasn't much change in the 2022 final rankings to what was released today for the first ranking of the season. You do have NC State moving up three spots into the number three position. Everyone else was really plus or minus two. Uh, you know, you have Georgia and Stanford vaulting into the top 10 from you know, 12 and 13, respectively. There wasn't much in interesting stuff in the top 10. I think the biggest takeaway I had was the belief that these coaches have in a few programs that we had outside the top 10, but definitely in that, you know, 10 through 16 range, right? And that's USC, who they didn't have in the top 10, but they move up six spots. Vanderbilt, who they also move up six spots. Iowa State, who we've talked about, I believe, on the Oklahoma pod, they move up 13 spots. It's the biggest jump of anyone in the top 25. And lastly, Georgia Tech, who comes in uh, at number 25. We talked about them being a little underranked at 32 to end that 2022 season. So, the most interesting thing here, kind of the, the bigger movers and shakers, uh, less so about the top 10, in my opinion. I agree with you directionally. Top 10, everything feels about accurate. Obviously, we're a little higher on some teams than they are in that 6 through 10 range. I feel like Duke at 6 uh, is something that will age well, but we both think they're a little low on Georgia. The big things I noticed, two other big takeaways only two top 25 Big Ten teams, and neither of them is top 16 to start the season. You have Ohio State at 17, Michigan tied for 20th. 
that's tough. And again, the Big Ten's going to have to earn their spot in the top 25. I'm not trying to say that's an inaccurate ranking. I am saying it is going to be a struggle. Ohio State's going to need some non-conference wins. Michigan's going to need some non-conference wins. And a big kickoff weekend start at Oklahoma State would really get things going in the right direction for the Wolverines because as of right now, they are not going to get a lot of help from the rankings. They just don't have, I think I see six or seven, I think it's six SEC teams. I think I saw five ACC teams, if not six ACC teams, like there's margin for each of those schools. They're going to have the opportunity to beat up on one another. Good to see Vanderbilt back in the top 20 after they were out there last season. But yeah, like those would be my big takeaways is, you know, again, the SEC, the ACC, the the conferences that have had depth. And even you look at the others receiving votes, Baylor, Kansas, Texas Tech didn't get votes, but they're all big 12 schools that receive yep. them on top of obviously Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas and Iowa State at 22. Three, you know, there are three conferences with significant depth. Even the Pac-12 has Stanford at, you know, tied for eighth, Cal at 12, USC 14, UCLA 16, Arizona State 19. Every conference but the Big Ten's got some big wigs, and I just counted you through all of them. Like, it's not great if you're a Big Ten school. Well, I hate to break it to you, Alex, but they're the worst big Power Five conference in women's tennis. I didn't realize the Delta was this big, though. Like, the difference is Michigan and Ohio State, at least entering the season, are very clearly top 10 teams. You can't say that about Ohio State and Michigan. I think both Ohio State and Michigan are going to be very good teams. I don't know if they're top 10. Like, And that's the issue no. is there, there's, there's no torchbearers right now. It's going to be a struggle at the top. Yep. Like, yeah, Big Ten I, is projected right now for one top 16 seed. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it feels like maybe Ohio State and Michigan sneak in two. Maybe they come in at 15, 16, but those ranked wins aren't going to be there. Yeah, the last thing I'll say on the rankings is that, by and large, I don't think the coaches love to make big, sweeping changes to these rankings, right? You maybe see some changes on the margins. So you look at Ohio State, Michigan, that's basically kind of where they finished, right, last season, you know, plus or minus two to four. So um, they these coaches make these teams earn these rankings, but they do matter, right? These rankings are what feed into the ranking system once the computers kick in after indoors. So there is um, an importance here in how you come in uh, ranked early in the season. Absolutely. And it's something we'll keep in mind. We will continue to monitor each and every week, of course, here on this show moving forward. With that said, it is time for our final preview here of this 2023 college tennis season. The number one team in our women's preseason poll is the University of North Carolina, who, for what it's worth, received five of the first uh, place votes, five of the 12 first place votes in the ITA preseason poll. Texas getting the other seven, obviously very close between those two schools. And I mean, before we get into how exceptional the fall was and how exceptional this roster is for North Carolina entering 2023, we do have to look back at last season's results for the Tar Heels, another season where the Tar Heels started the year out on fire, and they did what they have done each of the last three seasons and captured the National Indoor Championship. And look, they got pushed as much as they had, you know, each of the last couple of seasons. I guess 2020, they kind of cruised. 2021, obviously, the comeback match from Elizabeth Scotty last year. They got pushed. That 4-1 scoreline against Virginia, not indicative of how close the match really was. 4-1 scoreline against NC State. There are a couple of three sets going the other way from losing that matchup. Obviously, they ultimately earned the 4-2 victory over Oklahoma, but let's be abundantly clear. The first hour of that match belonged to the Sooners. They take the doubles point. They win first sets at the number five position, at the number six position, at the number one position. They won doubles in three first sets. They were in control of the first hour of play, but the Tar Heels managed to storm back. That said, for the first time in forever, they lost some ACC matches. They end up losing the season finale to Duke in Durham. They end up losing 4-3 in the conference tournament semifinals against Virginia. And, you know, you allow yourself to think maybe those are the calluses. This North Carolina team that had been relatively untested in the two prior regular seasons needed going into the NCAA tournament. Well, lo and behold, they beat Florida 4-0 at home in the round of 16. 4-0 win over South Carolina of the round of 32. Pretty impressive as well. 
After struggling to start against Pepperdine, they move inside. They win that match 4-3 overall, and the gods allow them to play Texas indoors of all places in Champaign. That said, ultimately, the Longhorns a 4-2 victory over UNC on their way to the national championship. Again, you look for UNC overall on the year, 28-3 overall, 12-1 in conference play, national indoor champions. That said, I ask you, John Parsons, did this team exceed expectations, underperform, get things just right in 2022? Look, 2022 was a, a new era in UNC women's tennis after the graduation of, you know, multiple super seniors in Davatella, Graham, McKenna Jones. I would add in Ali Sanford as well, who contributed in doubles. And they came out on fire, right? You mentioned winning the indoors title, uh, something that maybe they didn't think they were, were, would expect to do. Then they take those lumps during the, the regular season. That lost to Duke, right? This was an undefeated team until April 15th when they lose at Duke for the first time, uh, losing a regular season match in four years. Look, they made the NCAA semifinals. It It's tied for second in their second best NCAA performance. They've now made three straight NCAA semifinals. This was a just right season for North Carolina. I think, um, if anything, expectations were lower in this kind of turning of the page without some of those super seniors, and they still managed to produce the same end-of-year results as they had in the past uh, and take some of those lumps during the regular season. But ultimately, I do think that that April 15th match against Duke was sort of the, the turning of the tide a little bit on this season. Yeah, I mean, look, in the past decade, this team has made the quarterfinals or further, I believe, in all but two seasons. Like, they have been the epitome of what success looks like. It's very easy, as you have and I have done in the past, to draw the comparison between this UNC program and what the Ohio State men have accomplished over on the men's side. Jay, immediately the finger comes up. (laughs) Well, speaking of that, you mentioned that UNC match going indoors against Texas. And Ohio State on the men's side were indoors uh, for most of that champagne run, right? And you felt like, hey, maybe this is the year the cards align for both of those teams moving indoors. I thought there were a ton of parallels in champagne. Both teams ultimately fall in the semifinals. Yeah. I mean, again, and look – I, the only reason you would say this team underperformed last season is because there's only one thing left for North Carolina tennis to do. It's not win a national indoor championship. They've done that, what, five, six times now as a program, won the last three, obviously. It's not win the ACC championship. They've done that numerous times. It's not win the ACC conference tournament. They've done that numerous times. The only thing left for this program to do is take that final step and win an NCAA team event. They've already won the singles and doubles, so that's off the checkmark list as well it's just there's one task left and it's sad because the only thing they're competing against at this point is themselves like that and that's the you never want to lose that perspective of what this team has done this is what an elite college tennis program looks like unc is now the standard of what it takes to be great in women's college tennis they are the most consistent program at the top of women's college tennis year in year out for the past five six seven years really at this point and There's only one thing left to do. It's win the national championships. And until they do that, they will fail to meet perhaps the more broad consensus expectations for themselves. That said, from a program standpoint, if the goal is to be the elite of the elite, they continue to do that. And it's always worth adding that perspective, I think, at the start of this show, particularly for a school like UNC where – it's going to, I mean, it's impossible to be anything but a little bit negative in saying like, yeah, but they didn't win it all. And this team could have won it all and they didn't win it all because that's really what it came down to. It's like they were good enough and they just didn't. Yeah. And look, that's unfortunately been the measuring stick for success. You see this on the pro tour where we're just counting slams. This is a team that year in, year out, regular season, ACC conference season, you know, dominates, right? They dominate on the national stage at indoors. They fall short in May. That has been the truth since 2010 when they made that first semifinal. It's been true now for for 12 years. That doesn't take away how hard it is to be that consistent for so long and how impressive it is to be that consistent for so long. What other team has done that? Look at Stanford. Look at the past two years completely derailed by COVID, right? They're struggling to get back into the top 10. So 
Absolutely. It doesn't take away from the success this program has had, but certainly it is the one thing looming over it um, as they start another dual season. Look at what's happened in the ACC, the transformation of having all these programs chasing you. Obviously, Duke's been there for a while, but the rise of Virginia, the rise of obviously inconsistent, I suppose, of Miami, who's been in the mix for a while and have stayed in the mix, but teams like Georgia Tech and, you know, again, uh, who am I blanking out? NC State, well, NC obviously State. the biggest yeah. of them all and what we've seen from Simon there. Like that other ACC schools have now, I don't want to say caught up to UNC, but are bridging that gap and narrowing it even you know more and more by the year. It, it's a testament to what UNC has done and it's a testament to, again, these other programs, the standard that they have to chase. So certainly, again, yes, UNC, another just 28-3 home-humming season. It, tough because they didn't win the national championship, but ultimately they did accomplish all sorts of things, of course, last season. And we've seen some of that success already bleed over into the fall. And look, these returners are all familiar faces, but there's no denying the biggest winner of the fall in women's college tennis was UNC. And that starts with the biggest winner of the fall in all of college tennis, Fiona Crawley, who puts together that unprecedented, according to Jay, who decided some matches do count, some matches don't or not since at least Jamie Loeb. Have we seen someone go undefeated in fall events? And, you know, Fiona Crawley, 17-0. Did you decide to count Francesca it, DiLorenzo? What's the so Jamie Loeb, Jamie Loeb was definitely not undefeated. That oh, was so not it was, it was DiLorenzo. It was DiLorenzo. Yes. It was DiLorenzo. I had... Uh, someone close to the UNC program tell me that we should only be counting matches that count towards your ranking okay. of which that match at the, you know, uh, it, whatever they called it, intercollegiate event at the U S open plus Fiona Crawley's match at the master U BNP Paribas, um, does not count towards your collegiate ranking. Therefore both DiLorenzo and Fiona Crawley win both the all American event and the fall nationals and they go undefeated. Okay, that works for me. I mean, again, Crawley, exceptional in her run to each of those titles. And, you know, again, countless big uh, big names knocked off along the way, beating Daria Freeman, Sarah Hamner, Kaya Tano, Alexa Noel, Kylie Collins, her own teammates, and, you know, Carson Tan Gillig and Maddie Sieg and just about anyone you were looking for her to beat from that who else could challenge for the top spot here in the fall. Fiona beat them all. She dropped only two sets in those 17 victories, so 34-2 and two overall in her last six, 36 sets. Ludmilla Samsonova-esque in that run in the fall. I mean, again, Crawley has lost, what, three total dual matches thus far in her collegiate career, and you look at the resume she's now two. put together. Two overall, yes, I Good correction by you. Undefeated the first year, two last year. She's 94-8 and eight through her first 102 matches. That's ridiculous amounts of success. And look, she was playing primarily at the number four single spot yeah. last year. But when you look at the returners, all the options they'll have at the number one spot, she has to be number one in the fall, right? Like you just, after that 17-0 run, you can't play anyone else there. I don't think you, she's number one in singles. She's number one in doubles. Yeah. She's the best player. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, anything else would be protested, right? I mean, there's no way not to play her at number one. Do I get the shout out to me, to myself, for the prediction that this was going to happen? I might have been in on the bandwagon <laughs> a little bit too soon, but I feel like we created the Fiona Crawley bandwagon here at Crack Rackets. And I have some bad takes, but this one has been validated with the success of her fall and it's the relentlessness. Like, is she 5'10", 5'11"? No, but her ability to take that ball early on the rise beats you to the spot. Again, did it against every game style you could imagine this season. And then also, just by the way, put together a ho-hum 9-1 record with Carson Tan Gillig and, you know, swept the fall Nats, which is just unprecedented. That's, you know, again, was in position to to sweep the fall Nats, singles and doubles, excuse me, before getting knocked out, obviously, by Brodus and Chen, who looked exceptional in that match. But she was just the unequivocal story because of how she followed that up, uh, the All-American up with that performance. I mean, that's the number one player going into the returner conversation. Let me ask you this. Of all the rest of the returners, who's most compelling to you on the list? Well, another, I mean, compelling can go any different way. That's I mean, the point. Look, for me, it's Carson Tangillig, uh, the sophomore. I mean, she had a stellar freshman campaign. She was 10 and three, primarily at number five. You know, 
she goes on to be an All-American her freshman year by making the round of 16 at the NCAA singles tournament. She knocks out number four seed Daria Freeman. She gives me Ben Shelton vibes. You know, she started taking tennis more seriously as she got older. This is a a player and an athlete who played high school basketball. You just look at the weapons that she has, the serve, the forehand. And she had, you know, an ascending fall, right? She goes nine and four. She only loses to Maddie Sig, Fiona Crawley, Connie Ma, and then Bridget Stamel of Vanderbilt. So look, I think she's someone whose upside is just incredibly high. We haven't seen as much of her at UNC as we have the other returners, but compelling, uh, she comes, you know, top of mind. Yeah, I, I think that's, Probably would be my pick as well. And Tan Gillig, nine and four throughout the fall, uh, got some really good wins. Obviously, making the semifinals of the ITA All Americans, and obviously the finals in doubles alongside of Fiona Crawley. You just saw the athleticism pop throughout the course of last season. How how big the weapons are, how easy it is for her to move forward and assert herself. That's typically what you see out of a top three successful singles player at the highest levels of college tennis. She has all the tools to do exactly that. See, to me, I go Abby Forbes as probably the most compelling. Well, I guess she's not. She's a new addition. You're right. I, I scratched that. I scratched well, that. Are we going who we're picking at number two or just most compelling? Those no, are most compelling, questions. but she's okay. not a returner, so I Got scrap it. that. Okay. How about Scotty? What do we do with Elizabeth Scotty? Because you look for Elizabeth Scotty, two and two overall, did not play a ton of singles matches throughout the course of the fall. You look at what Scotty was able to do last year and what Scotty's been able to do throughout the course of her collegiate tennis career while at UNC when she's been healthy. She's been exceptional for them, obviously, out on the court just to, to have that ability to win an NCAA doubles title and be a big piece there. Uh, she wins that title back, of course, in 2021 with McKenna Jones. You look at what she was able to do last season, 22-5 and five overall in singles, 15-4 and four in dual match play. And she's also that, you know, again, I always say the path of Scotty and Shavatapan are now forever intertwined uh, because of the match they played at the National Indoors. But two players who are, again, on the taller side, have the bigger weapons, that ability to assert themselves against anyone. Now, again, she hasn't been the healthiest throughout her college tennis career. 45-9 and nine for through her career in singles play. That feels a little bit low for someone who has been a part of this roster now since the start of that 2019-2020 season. But you can't take her out of the top three, can you? Now, you, you wonder what the—I guess I, I'm saying why is she most compelling. I'm just fascinated to see what the pitch count will be for Elizabeth Scotty this season. Well, it's going to be low. It's been <laughs> low for a few years, right? It was low— in even just in their run to the semifinals in 2021, where that you didn't know if they were going to play Scotty or not. Uh, but last season was a big season for her, right? She steps up to the number two position, previously was down at four, and she goes 14 and four, and certainly indoors with her weapons. Uh, you know, she was lights out for them early in that season, particularly at the indoor event. So compelling in terms of there's questions, sure. I mean, she did only play one event. This fall, I think health will always be sort of like a chronic question. Uh, but ultimately, you know, she's going to be tough to beat anywhere in that lineup, particularly indoors. Yeah. I mean, again, especially just given the big matches she's played throughout the course of her career, you feel like as battle tested as any player on this UNC roster. And yeah, again, I think she'll be at the national indoors in that lineup. I think she'll certainly be playing come NCAAs. I will be fascinated to see how many regular season matches we do or rather do not perhaps see Scotty. If I say over under eight and a half non tournament matches, so indoors ACC NCAAs excluded over under eight and a half. Oh, under. I that's a bold play. I don't think it's a wrong play. Yeah, but, I mean she played 18 right last so, season. Yeah, and that four includes... indoors, four tournament and two, so that's 10 of last year. So yeah, eight and a half. See, I'm good at setting lines. I didn't even look that up, Jay. Eight <laughs> yeah, and a half a was line. off the top of the head. Um 
yeah, that, that feels about right. Um, that's going to be fascinating to see because, look, they've got the other options. Let's go Yarla Gata next. Certainly the biggest riser for this yep. UNC team, and she's going to be a senior this year. Yarla Gata, who was nails at the bottom of their lineup last season, playing at the number six spot, her first full year really contributing uh, in the singles lineup from start to finish for this UNC team. Yarla Gata, rock solid, 22-4 and four in dual match play, clinched the NC, uh, National Indoor Tournament, excuse me, by turning things around. Around one of the few pay- people to get the better of Emma Staker last season. I mean, indoors, you love the weapons for Yarlagata anyways, but then to put together the run she did in Fall Nats at the All-American, 12-4, and four, and not just like a soft 12-4, and four, but a 12-4, and four, playing some of the best competition college tennis has to offer. You look for Yarlagata wins over Marley Zian, over Kimmy Hans, Daria Freeman, and, you know, all sorts, Julia Adams of Virginia, I don't know how you don't play Yarlagata in this lineup, given how successful she was last year and given the clear progression she made in the fall. Well, I mean, that gets to the, just how talented this roster is, right? But yeah, she shot out of a cannon this fall, certainly. You know, she only played one, you know, UTR event this summer and went from being a in one of the best sixes in the country for sure, but still taking losses at six to now being. You know, she's now ranked 18 in the country. She makes the semifinals of All-American. I mean, this has been a very big jump that you don't typically see in her, you know, fourth year here at at North Carolina or any school where you typically see those jumps earlier in their progression. So she's been playing incredibly well and is certainly uh, a person that you look to in the fall and went, wow, like just reinforcing how good this UNC team is going to be if their six is going to make the All-American semifinal. Yarla got a 69 and 20 in her career. Her and Riley Tran, you feel like might be competing for that final roster spot when you look at the new additions they bring in, and we'll do that in a moment. But Tran, five and three in singles play uh, in the fall. I mean, she's 50 and 10 overall for her career. And again, the idea of her at a five or a six in the lineup, you feel pretty good, whomever that choice is for Coach Calvis here this season. Who's got the higher stock at entering the, the January? It's got to be Arlegata, right? But that doesn't mean trans stock is low. Well, relatively, trans stock is low, but okay. I'm a buy on Riley Tran right now because, look, I think the narrative, she was excluded from the narrative a little bit in the fall, primarily because she didn't play the, the regional, so she didn't make it to fall Nats. But, I mean, you look at her fall, yes, she didn't play a ton, but her losses were all to excellent players, right? Mary Stoyana of Texas A&M, Snow Hahn of USC, Sydney Ratliff of Ohio State. Nothing to be concerned about, right? So this is a player who had success at number three last season and really was a lock at three all the way up until NCAAs when I think she was uh, enduring some health issues, right? So this is a player who has been reliable for them at three, been written off a little bit from the fall, but Tell you what, I don't think there's any reason to believe that she will be anything but playing at that level she was last season. Yeah, and again, that core alone of Crawley, Scotty, Tangillig, Yarlagata, Tran, even with nothing else, that's a top 10 team. You've got five unequivocal options there to start your lineup. But of course, beyond that, you talk about the new additions that this team brings in. And let's talk Abby Forbes first, because it's not every day you bring in a player who has been an unequivocal All-American and you look for Abby Forbes in her career. She's 72 and 13 overall, 11 and 2 in the fall. She was 61 and 11 during her time at UCLA. All-American playing in the top single spot for the Bruins. You know, obviously played one of the iconic matches against Stella Perez Somariba back at the 2021 NCAA tournament. I, I thought mean, you were going to say her doubles match against Pepperdine in the quarterfinal. Also, <laughs> very much on the list. So she's been in some big moments. And there's a world where she's not playing number one for this team. And guess what? If she was playing number one, you feel like you have a top five number one, top 10 number one, certainly in the country. The prospect of her playing two, or I saw her, you know, I saw her at two singles for that UCLA team back in 2020. The idea of her playing any lower than that, maybe the lock of locks in this lineup, Jay, like the idea of a non-number one singles playing Abby Forbes. Yeah, I mean, look, she was ranked number two in the country, right? She's yeah. the, uh, you know, she graduates UCLA in three years. She still has two years of eligibility, getting her MBA at North Carolina. 
And she's clearly taking the fall very seriously, right? She played throughout the fall. She played All-American. She played fall Nats. Look, she's the best transfer in the country. She's one of the best players in the country. And she probably won't play one to start the season. So, yeah, I mean, this is someone who's extremely experienced, who seems to be loving being back in her home state of North Carolina. Uh, there's not much more to say about Abby Forbes. She's a, a known commodity here in college tennis, and it's just going to be incredibly tough at, at any position that they put her at. And she got to play a ton of outdoor tennis at UCLA as well, and you feel like to get someone in the lineup who has played as many outdoor matches as she has, that's another invaluable thing perhaps for this UNC team come May. The other big addition, of course, is Reese Brantmeyer. And there are still rumors floating around because we didn't see Brantmeyer play in the fall. Will she be eligible to play for in the spring? We can talk about that in a second. But look, you bring in someone in Reese Brantmeyer who's obviously had tremendous amounts of success on the ITF, both junior and pro tour. You look uh, for Brantmeyer. She, uh, at 18 years old, currently ranked 465 in the WTA singles rankings, reached a career high of 411 last year. Brantmeyer was also someone who, of course, was a top 30 junior in the world in the ITF rankings as well. I mean, again, you feel like she's not coming to college tennis to not play in the lineup, Jay, and certainly a top 500 player entering college tennis ranks. That's going to be a top 25 sort of player in the ITA uh, ITA rankings when you have, you know, you just feel like, in most seasons, I should say, that someone is looking, if you're top 500 in the world, you're going to be a top-end talent, and it's almost like, again, it's a supplemental piece to this Carolina Tar Heels team. Yeah, this team would be talented enough to be ranked number one in our preseason rankings without Reese Brantmeyer in this lineup. They bring in, you know, the top transfer in the country in Abby Forbes, the number one U.S. recruit in Reese Brantmeyer. She was number two in the ITA newcomer list behind Diana Schneider. Look, she just made a 25K final where she beats All-American finalist Kylie Collins. She beats former Pepperdine standout Ashley Leahy. She loses in the final there to Wimbledon junior champion Liv Havdi. She won a round in doubles at the U.S. Open. So, you know, she will absolutely contribute to this lineup. Now, as you said, we didn't see her this fall, unfortunately. So hopefully she finds herself eligible to compete for the spring. But, yeah, I mean, looking at like the power six UTRs just goes to show you how talented this team is. They're obviously six. Uh, Can I try and guess the gap between their six and the next closest? uh, Just guess their power six and the next closest. Yeah. So they're the 66.8. So I'm going to guess they're 66.8 overall. Yes. Next closest is 64.9. No. Next closest is NC State with 65.25. But still, there's a full, like, come on now. Really good guess because Pepperdine is third um, at 65.01. So that's without the Schneider of it all. But look, there's, I mean, that's a massive gap. That's ridiculous. They're a a full point better. A full point. Full point and a half better. Yeah, that's crazy. Than than NC State. That's a point two five at every position, right? Um, and look, they have, we talk about the like three player club of three players above an 11 UTR USC Pepperdine, North Carolina is five, North Carolina's fifth best players in over an 11 UTR. Their sixth highest player, Yarla got at a 10, nine Texas is number one player, Nicole Kieran, 10.94. No, I mean, this feels like 2020 where the Delta between UNC and the rest of the field might just be that big. And look, the thing about this UNC team you almost have to win the doubles point against them because I just don't see a world where four of these options are losing on any given day, Jay. Like, that's the strength is they have six blue chippers in their lineup. Yeah, I mean, they have, you know, three of the top seven highest UTR players in the country in Crawley, Brantmire, and Forbes. They have two of the top three. But you talk about doubles. I mean, where do you get the doubles point from North Carolina? You have Crawley and Tangela, the number one team in the country. There's Elizabeth Scotty, NCAA doubles champion. You have Reese Brantmeyer, who has played and won a round at the U.S. Open. So Scotty and Brantmeyer are going to be playing somewhere at two and three. I mean, they're going to get at doubles too. Yeah, it's just this team has all the pieces again, yep. and they're injury. They're a little injury proof as well because they have seven blue yep. chip talents. Now, who's eight? In that lineup, it's certainly a question. Um, 
And, you know, again, monitoring the health of everyone will be something Coach Calvis certainly does. You imagine not a ton of people are going to be playing 17 weekends in a row. There'll be opportunities to mix around the lineup, let certain players play higher in the lineup. Because, again, if Yarla God is playing three for you or four for you on any given day, you still feel pretty good about her in 90% of the matches that you play. I mean, so that's the strength I guess project the lineup for me. What do you see that looking like in singles? Look, I mean, roll a dice, right? It, yeah. It's going to be really Throw tough. Um, I think indoors. I, I mean, look, I think Crawley starts. Crawley has to start at one. The only reason she would move down to one is if someone like Brant Meyer comes in and just plays lights out. Crawley's at one. Scotty at two indoors. Forbes three, Brantmeyer four. That is a crazy thing to say out loud. Anyone you say at four and five is just crazy to say because I do think that there's a, a th- there are five players here, right? And you're going to have to play one of Crawley, Brantmeyer, Forbes, Scotty, and Tangillig at number five. Nuts. I think outdoors, look, it wouldn't surprise me to see Brantmeyer ascend to the number one position by the end of the year. But I think she and Crawley are at one and two. I think uh, Forbes and Tangillig are at three and four. And then I think Scotty, Yarlagod, and Tran are somewhere at five and six. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Oh my God, almost blasphemous to stay out loud. Yeah, indoors, I don't think that's a bad call. Crawley one, Scotty two. I'd go <sighs> Forbes three, Brantmeyer four. Yeah. I'd probably go Yarla Gata six, and obviously Tangillig five in this scenario. But like outdoors, I mean, how is Forbes not going to play top three outdoors? Monster outdoors. Uh- I think she does play top but three. But Tan Gillig outdoors, that the weapons she brings, yeah. Scotty's weapons. Uh. Scotty's the only one I would say, I feel like, okay, so she's going to move down between indoors and outdoors. Sure. Everyone else, uh, you know, they don't need to be moving at all. Yeah, it's a ridiculous lineup. It's it's really strong, just all positions, one through six. Yeah. Again, what's, what's your biggest concern? What's the weakness? Well, just on the lineup, it's going to be interesting because Calbus has – Coach Calvus is pretty rigid with his lineups. At least he was last year where you had your position. The only reason you moved up in the lineup is because people were pulled out, right? And you get to move up. So, uh, man, I think this is a year he's got to be a lot more flexible in that regard. He knows better than me, but uh, I'll be curious to see how much platoon systeming he does just to give people um, more chances. Look, there's, there's one question. For this team, right? They are head and shoulders on talent on paper ahead of other teams. And that is the pressure in May, right? Yeah. They know on paper they have the most talented team in the country. They know what we talked about earlier about not having an NCAA title. On the flip side, every single one of these contributors we've talked to can come back next year. So it is not like this is the end all be all. That's it. The question is just do they get it done in May? No, that's exactly it. And again, they will have, if you think there's been a target on their back in the seasons prior, there will be a target on their back in every match that they play this season. And look, I mean, at the non-conference schedule, they had a bunch of matches before the kickoff weekend. They're going to get Wisconsin-Auburn in a fun weekend over in Alabama. Kickoff weekend for what it's worth. The Tar Heels going to be comfortable favorites hosting Utah, Charlotte, and Maryland. After that, you look at the non-conference schedule. They get the fun head-to-head versus Georgia. They're going to take on uh, then the full ACC slate, of course, with UVA and Duke and Uh, Obviously, NC State, Miami, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, Florida State, all the teams that there are. And you look at the difficult away trips for this team. It's actually interesting. They get a lot of the tough matches at home. Charlottesville is on the road post-national indoors. Georgia Tech is on the road in mid-March. But Miami comes to town. Florida State comes to town. Wake Forest, Duke, NC State all coming to town 
it's an advantageous lineup. There's definitely uh, of matches. There's definitely a world where this UNC team runs the gauntlet, goes the 18 and 0, or you know, 40 plus matches in a row without a loss. Once again, this season, isn't it? Isn't couldn't you see that unfolding, Jay? Not the 40 because they don't hit 40, but they could run another undefeated streak. That's how I see this playing out. You know, I, I do see them winning their regular season. Uh, you know, you mentioned they get Duke and NC State at home winning the ACC, uh, taking that title back uh, after uh, losing it last year. So, yeah, I, I think they will be undefeated going into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think it's going to be really – again, the key is they get NC State at home. They get Duke at home. Like, yes, Virginia's on the road, but that could be right after this UNC team has won the national indoors and is feeling all sorts of ways in terms of their confidence – I'm. I always am a little bit shy following our Pepperdine podcast last year. I feel even better about this UNC team going into this season than I did about Pepperdine going into last year. I've seen all of these pieces have success, and like all of them have success in just about these colors. And the only one who hasn't had success in these colors, Abby Forbes, I've seen her have success in a different shade of blue. Again, eleven total losses, ten total losses so far in her collegiate career. This team is elite. This team has all of the pieces. And this team has been through the ringer before. Like, again, Scotty, Crawley, Tan Gillig, and uh, Tran, Yarlagata, even Abby Forbes. They've all experienced heartbreaking college tennis losses. This is a team that's ready to win. You just feel like Scotty, Crawley, with the individual successes they've had, they're the sort of program-defining players who take you to a place you've never been before. And obviously, the only place this team has left to go is an NCAA championship. With that said, Jay, you predicted NC State to win the national championship. I'm offering Chris and you this opportunity tomorrow. We're going to have the chance to rehash all eight of our quarterfinal spots just now that we've gone through, gotten the January surprises. I'm going to give us all one clean slate set of picks to start out the new year. With that said, let's start with the national indoors. Does this team make it four in a row? Yeah, they do. I am calling the event, so I'm not going to make predictions for who I ultimately think is going to win the title. ACC, undefeated? Undefeated. Conference tournament, championship? Championship. NCAA tournament. You think this team falls short to NC State? Explain why. I do. You know, look, I'm staying by the pick of with Diana Schneider. That's, you know, I think. NC State gets two points against this team in doubles and at number one, and they need to find two other points. It's very hard to do, as we've talked about against in this lineup. But look, you know, Orlando has not been kind to the Tar Heels. They've lost in the semifinals in both 2019 and 2021. So, you know, I'm going with the spicier pick of NC State. This is a deep cut, but this team feels very similar to me. Just in terms of vibes, nothing else of the 2011 Stanford women who were unequivocally, in my opinion, the best team that was Gibbs and on as freshmen, Hillary Barté, Mallory Burdett at the top of the lineup. They have the opportunity to win the national championship at home on their home courts. They pull Christian from number four singles. She only lost one match all year. They ultimately lose that match to Florida. In the final, uh, Lauren Embry beats uh, Mallory Burdett in a amazing but tragic and just match. <laughs> uh, no way else to describe it. And then Stacey Tan, who had been playing number five singles for that team, goes on to win the uh, make the finals of the NCAA tournament. So I just get similar vibes from that team where you know they have so much talent, they fall eventually short. Doesn't feel good to pick it, you know. This team has been knocking on the door for so long. They unequivocally have the talent to do it. But I'm sticking by the NC State pick. Uh, I also know where you're leaning. So uh, we got to differ somewhere. Yeah, I'm taking UNC to win the title. I just think not since Aragonian Weirsholm were five and six do I feel as good about a, a two-position spot in the singles lineup as I do about UNC's four and five. Like whoever of those five names we mentioned is playing four and five, they should win every single match that they line up for. And when you're up 2-0 against every opponent, even teams as good as Texas and NC State and all these other schools, like, okay, the again, the UNC-NC State doubles points are going to be so phenomenal 
throughout the course of this year. I hope we get them at least three times because they three, could yeah. prove essential. But I think this team has too many options in doubles that they'll figure that out. And then I don't think they're going to be down 1-0. And once they're up 1-0, you're just not finding four singles wins against that top six. Whomever it is slides in in any of the six positions. And it just – it reminds me – it's a better version of the 2020 team where you had the young Scotty and Mora plus Jones, Graham, Davitella. Plus, they've got a Yarlagata or a Tran in the back pocket at that number six spot, more proven than Sanford was, all due respect, in singles and some of the other names that have been there over the years. Like, this team is that good. They really are. Duke, UNC, uh, Duke, NC State, home matches. They might go undefeated. They really might. Like, I, I, I hate saying that for the second year in a row because you're just asking for punishment, but this team is that good. And... God, I hope they win the national title just so that we never have to talk about when are they going to win their first national championship again. Yeah. I mean, look, we talk about them knocking on the door and having these chances. Sitting here today, this is the team that has the best shot of winning the national title sitting here in January. All of those other years, at the end of the day, there were better teams who emerged. Right now, on paper, the talent this team has, the experience this team has, there are no peers in that conversation. Very well said. Well, with all of that in mind, folks, that's the number one team in our preseason top 10, North Carolina at the top of women college tennis to start the year. Of course, with that said, only one episode to go. And folks, you made it this far. Here's the spoiler. John J. Parsons joining us for our number one men's college tennis team, our final preseason podcast. And then we're going to get a ton of J throughout the course of the 2023 season as he'll join me every week on The Deciding Point, breaking down all of the women's action. You can also read him, hear him over at the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast. And you can go read us on CrackedRackets.com. Read us, read you. Excuse me. Right now, John Parsons, can you not with your newest Piece. You can read up on the men's tennis in the Ivy League, kind of their history, their resurgence, their step back with their season getting canceled in 2021 by COVID, and now looking primed and ready for maybe their best season uh, in conference history. Yeah, so be on the lookout for that and more pieces throughout the course of the year. A shout out, as always, to the man who makes all of that content possible, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, putting it all together on the recently renovated Cracked Rackets website. He has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. With all of that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, for the last time in this preseason, at least as it relates to our women's preseason rankings, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all on Friday for the final episode. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.